Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Today, our guest is Alejandro Infante. Hi, Alejandro. It's great to have you here. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Julio. It's a pleasure to be with you. Alejandro is president of Procursum Medical, a company that helps manufacturers of medical devices looking to launch and commercialize their product in Latin America. Alejandro is a global senior executive with over 30 years of experience in healthcare, including P&L management, go-to-market strategy, setting up new operations, and building organizations overseas. He has a unique background in international markets for pharmaceuticals, generics, medical devices, and nutritional products. Prior to founding Procursum Medical, he held the position of president of International with Hillrom, where, as a member of the executive leadership team, he managed a $500 million business with focus on improving profitability. Alejandro worked in Europe and drove sustained uh, profitability in also emerging markets uh, around the region. Alejandro was also president of the Americas, VP and general manager of international commercial operations and regional director for Latin America with Hospira, and also general manager for Mexico and Poland with Abbott Laboratories. So, Alejandro, could you please briefly tell listeners about your journey to Latin America? How do you get involved with the region? Uh, sure, absolutely. Um, I think we need to start by saying that I am Mexican, so I am Latin American by not only by birth, but also you know in heart. Started my career with Abbott Laboratories in Mexico, where I spent you know, about 20 years of my career. Uh, most of the time in Mexico, I did go to Europe, to Eastern Europe, to be general manager in Poland, and then returned to Mexico to be general manager of the affiliate at the beginning of the uh, 2000s. Uh, in 2004, Abbott spun off Hospira, you know, what used to be its uh, hospital products division into an independent company. Uh, and then I became regional director for Hospira in Latin America. And that was really my first uh, uh, regional assignment with the responsibility to manage all the separation from Abbott uh, the setup of the new company, the setup of the commercial organizations, both in countries where we had a direct presence or we had decided to have a direct presence, and then in countries where we decided to operate through a uh, distributor. So that was uh, kind of one of my first experiences in dealing with decisions in terms of go-to-market strategy. How do we go to market in a market as complex as Latin America? Uh, then I moved to the Hospira headquarters in Chicago. I became vice president and international, a uh, vice president and general manager for international, where I also managed the rest of the world outside North America. Um, I became also president of the Americas, where I had responsibility for the U.S. business, for Canada and Latin America. Uh, and of course, you know, the U.S. business, you know, was my main responsibility, but I still had responsibility for Latin America all those years. In um, 2010, I joined Hillrom as president of international. And so Latin America was also one of my uh, fastest growing regions. So, you know, for the past uh, 
I don't know, maybe close to 20 years, been involved with international markets in Latin America, always uh, very close to uh, very close to my heart, and of course, an important part of the business. Thank you, Alejandro. That was a great introduction. So, do you have any clinical research experience in Latin America, Alejandro? Uh, you know what? That's unfortunately an area where I don't have experience, but I can tell you that it is an area where there are significant gaps that somehow will have to be covered by other people coming after me to make sure that patients in Latin America have access to the newest technologies. Um, same as you know, patients from other parts of the world would have access to them without having to you know, wait for long periods of time like it usually happens today. All right, no problem. So let's talk about your practical experience selling medical technologies in Latin America. Could you please describe uh, or briefly summarize your involvement in the region? Sure. So as I was mentioning a few minutes ago, I have had to make decisions in Latin America in terms of how do we go to market? Do we set up our own organization or do we go to market through a distributor? And this is a major decision for multinational companies. Uh, setting up its own organization, um, it has its own set of challenges uh, because you, know, you need to have a certain critical mass, not only to make it profitable, but also to make sure that you, know, you can resource properly that organization with all the corporate functions that multinational companies usually require. Um, so unless you have a significant uh, level of business, a significant chunk of business, it is very difficult to set up your own organization in Latin America. And then there are always peculiarities around, um, you know, market access, uh, market knowledge, customer intimacy. But it is certainly you know, one of the options that multinational companies uh, have, and I actually have experience setting up this. Uh, back in my hospital days, we set up from scratch direct operations in Mexico, in Colombia, in Chile, and in Brazil. But unless you have a significant level of revenue and, and gross margin to, to make it work, uh, most companies entering the market in Latin America have to do it through a distributor. And um, when you operate with distributors, be in Latin America or in uh, any other in any other um, region, emerging markets region, uh, you you run into a number of risks, or multinational companies may run into a number of risks. To begin with. The ecosystem of distributors in Latin America is very, very fragmented. Um, you know, in every country, there are a handful of large, uh, reputable, very professional distributors. Then, you know, there's what I would call the tier two, where you have distributors that also have a long standing in the market, maybe not the same financial and commercial strength. And, you know, after that, you have you know, literally thousands of distributors, which, you know, may have very different levels of professionalisms, but because of their size, it's a challenge to collaborate with them. Um, so multinational companies really need to understand 
first, what are they trying to accomplish when entering the market? Which are the markets that they uh, want to focus on? What are the risks that you run when you are operating through a distributor, uh, which can be anything from financial risk? <laughs> Am I going to be paid? Am I going to recover my account receivables? Uh, is the distributor going to go bankrupt or someday? Uh, do they have a, a significant concentration of uh, revenue in a few um, customers? Do they have a significant concentration of revenue coming from very few suppliers? Are they diversified enough? Uh, do they have actually broad coverage, um, both geographic and in terms of institution in the countries where they operate? Uh, can they execute field corrective actions or recalls if your business demands it? Uh, do they have traceability when it comes to placing medical devices? Uh, what about their quality systems? And probably, absolutely not the least, uh, and one of the most important issues, uh, do they operate within the compliance guidelines that multinational companies require, especially in light of the uh, FCPA or the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act that the U.S. Uh, government enforces or the UK Bribery Act. Uh, so there are many risks when operating through distributors in the region, uh, but it can be done in a, a profitable way and it can be done minimizing the risk if you choose the right distributor. And for them, this is a matter of you know having a robust uh, understanding again of what your needs are, uh, what you're looking for in a distributor, who are the main players in the market? How do you run your own due diligence? And, and after you sign the distribution contract, that doesn't end there. You still need to deploy the resources, whether from your headquarters or located in the region, to make sure that you're managing the relationship on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, understanding what they're doing, understanding the final customer needs, and making sure that you can solve any issues, and there will be many in the day-to-day -day operations that arise. Uh, so it's a long journey for a multinational company to set up a distributor, but if you find the right distributor and due diligence, and if you work very closely with them uh, over the course of the business, uh, it can be a very profitable business operation, and it can certainly help you grow internationally in the region and, you know, be part of the overall growth of the company. In your opinion, Alejandro, what are the best practices to find distributors in Latin America? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question because, again, it depends very much on what you want. I can tell you some of my preferences. Uh, for example, um, I, I like to look for distributors that have a complementary portfolios to my company that have a good coverage, geographic coverage in the country uh, that are diversified enough so they'll be able to withstand 
the market risk and the economic and financial volatility that you find in these countries in Latin America and in other parts of the world, uh, I think managing volatility is definitely the name of the game in, in, in some countries. So they're not so spread out that they will not focus on certain segments well enough or they will not pay attention to your product line, but they're not so concentrated that they run into significant risk out of concentration. And by extension, you're running into the same risk of being out of the market. Um, you have to talk to a lot of people. You have to ask for uh, references. And you have to do your own due diligence in terms of you know, what they're bringing to the market. And you got to make sure that uh, what they're bringing is exactly what you need. And in everything that I'm saying, I think there is a delicate balance because a lot of companies may run into the temptation of having overwhelming due diligence processes. Um, and you got to understand you're not buying the distributor. You know, you're, you're going to be a partner of the distributor. Um, so, so you cannot overwhelm them with requests, especially if at the end you decide not to appoint them as your distributor. But on the other side, it, it can't be just two hours meeting and a handshake. You need to make sure that you you understand what you're looking for. And oftentimes, you've got to be willing to either get the right help, get the right resource from someone who understands the market, who has a relationship, uh, who can help you navigate uh, the distributor um, segment in various countries, which again is not an easy segment to navigate. So, as a multinational company, um, leave your um, leave your arrogance in the back pocket and go into the markets, consciously knowing that you don't know everything and there is a lot to be learned from local people. All right, Alejandro, have you ever been involved in obtaining regulatory or market clearance approvals in Latin America? Yeah, sure. I think. Uh, you know the the one thing in Latin America is that it is it is very diverse. Um, so the processes in Mexico with the cofepris, you know, will not be the same processes as you know those with an visa in in Brazil or in FEMA in Colombia and Latin Argentina, what have you. Uh, so it is very important that whether you set up your own organization or whether you appoint a distributor, uh, it is very important that the local organization you know, has the right knowledge for, um, you know, in relationships um, to process the, the registrations uh, in an efficient manner. Um, my understanding is that you know, regulations have been changing uh, in a number of countries. And sometimes it is, it is for the good countries like uh, Mexico, where there are expedited procedures if you already have FDA approvals. Uh, but you also have countries like Brazil, which continue to be uh, famous for for the delays in the registrations, even though now it takes much less time than in the past to get a registration for a visa. So although I'm not a regulatory person, I've had to manage the teams in charge of getting the regulatory approval. And, you know, what I can say is, again, you got to be very close. you got to understand the markets uh, and define very well your priorities. And once you decide to go in, you have to resource it properly. 
Good. All right. So have you been involved in strategies and tactics to increase any user demand for a medical device? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, this varies very much uh, from one side of the spectrum. If you have your own operation and you you have your own sales force, then you can decide how you want to deploy your sales force. Uh, and do you want to deploy your sales force on a geographic basis? Do you want to deploy your sales force by certain targets in certain institutions or segments of the market? Do you want to dedicate resources for key account management, participation in government tenders, or relationships with uh, healthcare practitioners? Uh, you have a lot of control when you have your direct operation. Um, and to some extent, multinationals gravitate towards what's been successful in other parts of the world, which is sometimes it's a little bit of a, um, you know, it's a mixed blessing and a mixed curse because uh, if, you know, if you have access to what has been successful in other parts of the world, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, but it may not work, you know, somewhere else. But multinationals tend to do that. And there's a number of decisions that you need to make, you know, sizing, how many people do you need, um, all of that. And, and then you have on the other spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, when you operate through distributors, uh, and again, you need to understand, you know, when you're uh, appointing a distributor, what are their capabilities for demand generation? Uh, how many people do they have in the sales force? Uh, how are they structured? Uh, how many products do they have in their bag? With how many other product lines is years competing for the attention of the sales force? What's the incentive program? Are they going to be... Uh, reasonably incentivized to sell your product line versus not a competitors because you wouldn't partner with a distributor that also sells a competing product line, but some other product line which may or may not be complementary to to yours. Uh, but you have to understand what the distributor is bringing to the table uh, in terms of demand generation capabilities. And then you have uh, somewhere in between uh, where you may have a hybrid model. And actually, I you know, we implemented that hybrid model uh, back in my Hillrom days in a number of markets where, yes, the distributor would have its own sales force and its own demand generation team. Uh, but as a supplier, as a, as a multinational manufacturer, uh, you would also have feet on the ground, people that are not only very close to the distributor, but that also helping the distributor in terms of navigating the technical complexities, the regulatory challenges, and understanding the customer needs. Yeah. So if ever the, the relationship with the local distributor had to change, you still had someone in the market, you know, who you know would have the the, the know-how and the knowledge. And these people are usually very strong from a, you know, from a product uh, uh, product knowledge standpoint. Uh, but it does require also some additional level of investment. You can't just, you know, go on and, you know, hire people uh, in uh, certain countries uh, without having a proper legal entity. So you need to invest in all that. You need to invest in uh, managing uh, all those legal entities, but it's a good in-between where you don't go full-fledged into setting up your own capabilities with your own sales force, which may not have enough critical mass or enough uh, products to pay for itself. But at the same time, you're not just relying on whatever demand 
generation capabilities the, the distributor may have. So you come to a, a probably to a happy medium, but a happy medium is also going to require some some uh, some resources. Um, and again, depends very much on your 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 segment, what kind of demand uh, generation capabilities uh, you're going to do. But you, normally, you need to be very close to healthcare practitioners. Make sure they understand your product. Make sure they have a way to to uh, influence uh, the definition of specifications uh, via the benefits of your products and so on. Okay. So what about pricing? Is there any price sensitivity in Latin America? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, surprisingly, I would say that in my experience in medical devices, uh, pricing for the end customer whether it is a hospital institution, uh, a clinic, uh, a practicing uh, physician, what have you, uh, pricing is not cheap. So you oftentimes when you buy medical devices in Latin America, you're buying them at a higher price than what you would get them for in the U.S. And and there are some very good reasons for this. Um, of course, there's an added component of a logistic expense. Um, you know, you have to ship the product there. Uh, you have to clear customs. There are customs duties in um, in several countries. Brazil is uh, certainly a very good example of that, but not the not the only one. Uh, countries have different apply different levels of duties depending on whether they have free trade agreements with. Uh, certain countries or regions or, or not. Uh, so all of this begins to add to the cost of the product. And then you also have the, of course, the distributors uh, margin or, or markup because they they need to you know, realize a reasonable profit. And multinational companies, you know, let's be honest, they when they sell to these regions, they, they don't decrease significantly the price when they sell it to the distributor. So, so you add all the logistic components, all the custom duties, the distributor markup, uh, and you end up you end up with a significant difference, uh, price difference, versus uh, the U.S. or versus Europe. So it's not cheap. And, and when you're working through a distributor, uh, even though you don't have uh, control over their pricing practices, uh, I'm Probably neither should you uh, for a number of legal reasons, but uh, you're going to make sure that you understand how they're pricing your products and you help them understand what are the uh, the appropriate pricing strategies to be successful in the market. And as a result of, of, of this dynamic where products are more expensive, medical devices are more expensive in the region, um, I think you, you tend to see uh, very uh, very well defined tiers of, of products being sold in the market. Uh, so in my experience, in every country, you'll you'll find a very well defined tier of uh, you know premium price products, which are not that price sensitive. Where you know all the uh, most reputable hospitals in the in the region want to have. Uh, and even if they are even more expensive than in the U.S., they want to have them because these institutions want to have the most recent, uh, the best technology to help their patients. And why not say that to also help with their reputation as a as an avant-garde institution? 
but this is a very small segment. So every company can sell in Latin America their highest price, uh, premium products, most innovative products uh, at a high price, but it's a very limited segment. It's only going to be the tip of the pyramid that is going to buy this, uh, again, because of the price points. And then you have uh, a lot of, uh, you find a, a good segment of low tier products where uh, price can be more sensitive uh, and for some distributors they're just easier to sell uh, so they'll sell the the cheapest products because there's sensitivity in the market i mean they, uh, there's uh, most of the healthcare in latin america is government funded and governments are doing a great effort in expanding access for the population uh, and trying to do it with the same budget. So so, so there's more and more uh, pressure on pricing uh, from the institutions, which, by the way, leads to uh, some very, very other interesting mechanisms for acquisition of technology. But this becomes the larger segment, the base of the pyramid, where you would find low price, low feature, maybe some low quality products to satisfy the need for you know to comply with tight budgets in in uh, in economic constraints and and then you find other middle segments what we call the tier two which uh, especially in countries like Brazil where they have uh, a significant uh, ecosystem of local manufacturers their products that are you know manufactured and developed by local companies they tend to play a role of being good enough, good quality, reasonably priced, or they're not cheap imports, but they're not also the very expensive uh, premium price products that only the tip of the pyramid can buy. So so as a conclusion, yes, there is significant price sensitivity. Uh, there's significant constraints in budgets. Uh, there's a very, very small portion of the market that will not suffer from that sensitivity. Uh, but uh, it's a, it is a challenge, and it's a challenge that will have to be solved in the future, in my in my mind, it will have to be sold by continuing to develop products that specifically address the needs of these markets, a uh, price point that these markets can pay, and that's not going to be solved by neither by selling your top premium price products, and neither by just dumping into Latin America your all discontinued products, thinking that they're going to solve the needs of the market and that because they're all, you can sell them at a lower price. Eventually, this has to evolve into a whole portfolio of solutions developed either by multinationals or local companies that, as I said, are tailored to the needs of the market at acceptable price points. Excellent. What about reimbursement, Alejandro? I think medical devices, the way you see the reimbursement is, is I, I don't see it as reimbursement per se for most products uh, because it is not like someone will use the product and somebody else will pay for it. Uh, you know, like in pharma, the reimbursement is more prevalent in pharma, but it's definitely most of the market is, is driven by government purchases. Uh, so it is the government and the public institutions who are going to be your main customer. And again, they're under challenge. Uh, they're trying to expand access to the population. And we see some great examples in countries like Mexico and Colombia, where the government has been making tremendous uh, 
progress in expanding access to the population, but at the same time, they're, they're very constrained in resources. Um, so it's not properly reimbursement, but just selling to a very large customer with usually high volumes, but very, uh, uh, very high constraints in terms of affordability, in terms of what they can afford. And then that plays into how you, how you bring your best solutions to them in a manner that they can afford it. Uh, and they can continue to not only expand access for the population, but to provide them with the latest uh, forms of treatment. Okay. So what about the importation process? I know you're really touching that, but could you please expand on it? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You, you have countries which are very open. Uh, Mexico and, and Chile certainly are two very good examples of you know very open very open countries where, especially Chile, for the most part, you don't pay import duties when you're importing medical devices. And if you do, they're very, very low. And in Mexico, with Mexico having free trade agreements with North America, the European Union, Japan, a number of other regions, you, you also don't have to pay import duties when, uh, when importing these products into Mexico. Uh, and then you have on the other spectrum, Brazil, where you're, the import duties can significantly add to, to the cost of your product, resulting in these pricing uh, discrepancies that I spoke uh, about before, and, and also uh, resulting in an advantage uh, for the local manufacturers. But it's not only duties. I mean, duties is a part of it. Uh, when you're importing products, you need to make sure that you have uh, a, a regulatory team and an export compliance team that's also providing with the right documentation, the quality certificates, keeping the local registrations updated so there's never a discrepancy between what is locally registered and what is coming through the door of the customs office. Uh, and then after you import the products, you got to make sure that you know where, where they are. And that's, that's perhaps another topic, but you got to make sure that you know where they are, they have a good traceability, et cetera, because the, the, the work doesn't end when they clear customs out of the port or the airport and they go into the warehouse, much less into the, uh, in, in, into the hospital or into the, uh, the healthcare practitioner office. Uh, so this is going to require uh, a very, very good, logistics department, export compliance, regulatory department on the end of the exporter and on the end of the importer, is this going to require the same solid regulatory operation, uh, understanding of the customs uh, regulations, and then the quality systems to, you know, to do the proper traceability. Uh, and most of the medical devices in the region are imported. So this is this is a very important topic that both local, either local companies, local affiliates, local distributors, as well as exporters, exporters need to be mindful of. Okay, fantastic. Um, are there any other areas, Francisco, that we haven't mentioned that the listeners should be aware of um, before embarking in, in a clinical trial in Latin America? I always like to talk about FCPA, you know, the Foreign Corrupt Act, Practices Act, and or for the audience um, which may not be familiar with the FCPA, the FCPA is a U.S. government enacted act that basically 
holds accountable uh, companies doing business in Latin America for all the corrupt corruption practices that may take care in foreign countries. And uh, what's interesting about this uh, FCPA uh, regulation is that uh, as a company, you're not just accountable for the corruption that may be incurred by your own employees. You're also accountable for the corruption that may be incurred by your distributors or your agents or anybody that is acting on your behalf. Uh, and, and, and this may be a significant risk that needs to be managed appropriately uh, by the companies. Uh, in healthcare is particularly sensitive to exposure to FCPA because of what I was saying. The main buyer is normally going to be a government or public institution. Yeah. So you have to make sure that as you're operating either directly or indirectly through a distributor, uh, you're complying with all the regulations uh, that you can demonstrate that you have a solid compliance program, that you're training your distributors, that you're training your employees, that you're monitoring what's going on in the market, that you're taking action once you detect that something is going on that is against the regulations. Uh, and this is very, very important. And you know, a trap that a lot of companies fall into is they believe that if they sell the products to a distributor and then they turn a blind eye, they're not liable. Well, they are. They're liable. Can't turn a blind eye and sell to a distributor. And it is not excuse to say, you know what, such and such market is very corrupt, so I don't do business directly with them. We, we sell it to a distributor and what happens afterwards, we don't want to know. You do want to know. You're liable for that. So I think FCPA is a very, very important uh, topic uh, that should remain all the time on the table when multinational companies are selling not only into Latin America but also into other uh, regions, not only other emerging markets but you know into other regions. And uh, you have to keep uh, a good eye on it and a solid compliance program, a solid disciplinary program, because you got to be able to demonstrate to the government if ever you run into problems that you have done everything that is reasonable within your reach to avoid this from happening and uh, to, that you have taken swift action you know, to stop it when you find out that something actually did happen. Excellent. So Alejandro, what major trends do you see in Latin America that are relevant to our discussion today? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, what I've seen recently is uh, uh, perhaps a little bit of uncertainty in the region uh, created by either changing governments, changing regulations, uh, and whether you're in Latin America, you're in Europe, you're in Asia, whatever, you know, there's always going to be this this uncertainty, there's always going to be this, this volatility and you have to be able to manage it, you have to be able to stomach it, whether it is change in regulations, whether it is volatility in exchange rates, whether it is a change in political environments, uh, 
Uh, and if you decide to do business in these regions, you have to do it for the long term and you have to be able to adjust your presence, adjust your resources according to the situation. But again, be there present for the long term uh, and manage the business in, in such manner. So I, I think as you know, as we see recently in the region, some trends of uh, uncertainty or volatility, um, keep cool, uh, make sure that you take the proper actions to protect your business, um, stay there. Um, this is a roller coaster. It's going to be ups and downs. Uh, and those of us that have been for many, many years uh, operating in the, in the region know this. Uh, there's always a better day. There's always a country that is doing better than the others. Uh, and there are new waves of, uh, of technology coming into the countries. Uh, there's a growing patient population. Uh, so it, you just have to uh, be able to operate in these countries. As I said, keep cool. Don't lose sight of your strategy. Uh, and make sound decisions. Thank you, Alejandro. I'm sure listeners will find this episode to be fascinating. You have a wealth of information in your head, and I'm sure people will enjoy and benefit from listening to these episodes of the Latin MedTech Leaders podcast. Julio, thank you very much for the opportunity. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I hope your audience uh, find it um, useful. Uh, and, you know, I'm always available should any any question arise. Uh, I guess they can, you know, they can direct them through you, uh, but I'm always available to uh, answer any question that your audience may uh, may have. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you.